Home is the sailor, home from the sea, and the hunter home from the hill. And we welcome you to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri. And I'm Ryan Mazzocco. This week, Ryan, we have something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we have run out of money for this uh, season, mm-hmm. or at least we're going to have to cut back a little bit. So we've got something special for you, kind of a, a best of Drive Back the Night. We're doing a clip show. How does that sound? Well, no, no, no. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, how is that going to work? It's a clip show. We just take some of our best stuff from the last season and a half, and we're just gonna we're gonna throw it out there. Okay, and people can just listen. That's, just, I was afraid. So no, let's just go ahead and get no, it started. No, 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 what? No, no. Well, wait, wait a minute. Okay, listen. I have actually prepared for this show for this week like a normal episode. Okay, and I would really like it if we could go ahead and do this episode like any other show. Well, honestly, I don't guess it's going to cost us any more money than we've already spent. So, okay, exactly. have it. we'll have it your way. See now, Ethan. Okay, I'm sorry to come down on you. This is this is part of the problem right here. Okay, because you keep making these mistakes like this, and quite frankly, I'm getting sick and tired of cleaning up after you. You have to stop podcasting. You can't do it. You can't tell me to stop podcasting. You can't. Podcasting is my life. All right, well, on with the show. <laughs> Episode 39, The Things We Cannot Change, like the beginning of this show. <laughs> but before we get into that discussion, uh, you have a little information for us. Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, this week we uh, got a really nice surprise in our inbox. Um, it appears one of our listeners, a fan, uh, Angela from Australia, attempted to send us some money. And we were not prepared for we that. We were not prepared for that. Uh, you know, because I, uh, we, to this point, we have never asked for money from our listeners. Uh, we kind of take that as a point of pride. Uh, we really do this because we, we just love doing this, and we want everyone else to enjoy uh, this show. Um, but when we were unable to take Angela's money, because we were not set up for that, she contacted us a second time trying to give us this donation and we talked about it and we were like you know what if she really wants to who are we to not allow her to to give us this donation her persistence is gonna is paying off right and so we appreciate very much her generosity and we talked further about it and we decided that we want to continue to follow our precedent of not asking for money right we did ask for money that one episode but that's only because we were in prison and I thought that was clearly intended to be a joke. Right. Um, Having said that, we decided that uh, if people do want to give us a a little bit of a donation for the effort that we put into these shows, they do cost money. Um, We were not going to 
disallow our listeners to to do that, to contribute if they feel like that's something they would want to do. And so what's the solution we've come up with here? Well, we're not going to ask for money. We're just going to do like like uh, Starbucks or any other classy place might do. We're just going to put a tip jar out. Yeah. So uh, you could find this. Um, we'll set it up on our on our homepage on Podbean. Um, but basically, if you would like to send us a, uh, a contribution through PayPal, um, you can just use uh, our email address and drive Ethan? drive back the night podcast at gmail.com. Right. So if you want to just send your cont- contribution through PayPal to that email address, we would be happy to accept that. And just for full disclosure, where, where that money is going, it goes into my my personal PayPal account, which I handle the bills mm-hmm. for Age of Geek Productions. So that's where it will go, and it, it will be used in uh, furthering this podcast uh, that you enjoy listening to. Right. And again, we appreciate very much that our listeners um, appreciate us enough to be willing to do that. Yeah. It, we, was, it, it was quite touching. It was Une- quite touching. Unexpected and touching. So. We do appreciate it, but it also caused us to have to think about some things, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you again, Angela. We appreciate that. Um, so I guess let's go ahead and get on into the show then, Ethan. Do you have some trivia for us this week? I do have some trivia. Strangely enough, I was prepared for this episode. What? It was a bit. Oh, okay. It was a bit. So none of that really meant anything. <laughs> no, by way of uh, trivia, I've got uh, a few things for us here. The opening quote uh, this week comes from The Requiem, or just Requiem. Uh, it's an early 40s short story written by Robert A. Heinlein, and it served as a sequel to his short science fiction novel, The Man Who Sold the World. Oh, right, is, by David Bowie. <laughs> no. No. Wrong title. Okay. But uh, but good book. Okay. Uh, even though you don't read books. But no. that's, a, that's, a, that's a famous science fiction work from the 20th century by Robert A. Heinlein. So that's where we get our opening quote from. Uh, this story that we're going to examine here, the, at least the, the principal part of the story, not so much the clips, written by Ethelian Ver, with excerpts uh, coming from just about everyone else on the regular writing staff. Ryan Drescher, he plays Ethan in this episode, Dylan's son. He has had an active career since 2002, uh, beginning at the time of his role here on Andromeda. That same year, he also appeared in the Dark Angel series, roughly around the same time. He's been in Stargate SG-1 as a young Keenan was the character that he played, part of a collective consciousness that was downloaded into the character Dr. Daniel Jackson in the episode Lifeboat. And I'm getting to it. Don't give me that look. Even though this isn't a Stargate podcast. That character, Dr. Jackson, was portrayed by Michael Shanks, whom we've already seen as a guest star on Andromeda. And so Ryan's career in acting appears to have come to a close roughly around 2007 with a role in the uh, video released sequel to the Sandlot series or Sandlot franchise. But uh, just trying to draw the, you know, connect the dots there that uh, we've got a couple of guest actors and their connection to Andromeda in this series. Cynthia Preston, she played Leandra, that is uh, Dylan's wife, in this episode. Her career stretches all the way back to when she was just 18 years old, appearing in the 1986 made-for-TV film Miles to Go. From there, she would later take on voice acting, playing Princess Zelda in the 1989 animated Legend of Zelda series. And I bring that up just because... I was a fan of that show. I watched uh, several episodes. 
Uh, she would go on to appear in The Outer Limits, The X-Files. She would also have a recurring role in the 1999 series Total Recall 2070 as Olivia Hume, and many, many more roles in TV and film throughout the 2000s down to today. We also have appearances in archive footage by Adrian Hughes as Kukulin, Sam Sorbo as Sarah, Steve Basic as Geharis slash Telemachus Rade, Alex Green as Farron, Darren Klimek as Harun. So a lot of credits in this episode, even though there was very little principal filming for episode 39, The Things We Cannot Change. And that's what I've got for trivia. Ryan, do you have a synopsis for us? You know what? I actually do. Why don't you go ahead and give us that synopsis then? The Andromeda is flying dangerously close to a black hole for some reason, but it's not close enough. So Dylan gets closer in the Maru for some reason. He barely gets his EVA helmet on when, boom, there's a hole breach and he's sucked into space toward the black hole. He wakes up happy, healthy, and with home and family, which includes his wife, Leandra, and son, Ethan. All seems normal until everyday activities such as making pancakes, playing with a soccer ball, saying I love you, and grease fires gives Dylan chilling visions of the life he believes he's supposed to be living and has left behind on the Andromeda. Leandra tells him that he suffers from memory loss and hallucinations ever since the incident with the black hole. She tries to convince him to resign from the high guard. He resists because he knows they need him. Leandra then breaks the news to him that the High Guard is allowing him to resign so they don't have to kick him out. He's been making a lot of mistakes, and they are tired of cleaning up his messes. Meanwhile, the crew of the Andromeda have set out to retrieve Dylan as Harper and Trance try to reconstruct the transport machine from the banks of the Lethe, and Tyr and Becca travel to the Maru in an effort to physically get closer. Tyr tethers himself to the Maru and makes his way to Dylan. Things heat up in Dylan's other reality as he puts Leander to the test, prompting her to spill a flammable liquid on the stove. The kitchen burned but was not consumed. After a heart-wrenching plea from Ethan fails to compel Dylan to stay, Leander's eyes turn to black holes as she exclaims, You're killing my people! Dylan wakes up just in time to grasp Tear's hand, and they are returned to the safety of the Andromeda. The end. The first thing I wanted to bring up... Uh... Becca's comment about beautiful things being the most dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could almost have a discussion about that. But I, it, her saying that reminded me of, um, we have a poster on the wall at, at where I work of Murphy's Laws. And, and one of them, my, the one that I like the best, it says the best things in life are either illegal, immoral, or fattening. Hmm. <laughs> and so I think that goes right in line with, with uh with Becca and Tears interaction there about beautiful things being the most dangerous. Well, they're designed that way. It's supposed to be that way. Um, so Tear, he tried to get all scientific on us. Under his breath, mumbling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The mass of the two objects and the distance of the sum of its parts. What, Tear? <laughs> Nothing. Some, some of it. Man, <laughs> even in the actual we have references to to past shows. Yeah. Some of its parts. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't really say that. You said that. No, I I was ad-libbing. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't understand the actual physics of what he was saying, so. Uh, I thought it was interesting how Rami reacts to black holes now. She's a little gun-shy around them. Yeah. Her reactions around them are very similar to when I'm around spiders. Oh, yeah? (laughs) You you get goosebumps? I get a little goosebumpy, yeah. Uh Obviously, she does. Uh, Her eyes, you know, she she has those nervous eyes, Mm -hmm. you know. 
Uh, I Are think... you sure it's the spiders or is it the gamma rays? <laughs> For me, uh-huh. spiders. Okay. okay. Yeah. Gamma rays don't bother me. Okay. Black holes don't bother me. Okay. Of course, I don't get close enough to them mm-hmm. like Andromeda does. But... Black holes never scared me. <laughs> but marsupials do. <laughs> marsupials. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I thought it was interesting that that Rami has a a phobia, basically, now. What would you call that? Uh, What is black hole phobia called? What's the Latin for that? We'll put a pin in it. Yeah. We'll discuss that later. We'll we'll put that to our listeners. (laughs) There you go. That's a little homework. Look up what is black hole phobia. Get back to us. Email us at drybackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. And I want to apologize, just in case anyone out there didn't get what I was doing that was a really bad attempt at a Christopher Walken impression. So, I it got is. it, but I could see your facial expressions too, <laughs> which was pretty good. Do we need to make this a video podcast? <laughs> no, okay. no. Um, okay, I got a thing. Tell me if this is just me, but this is something that bothers me not just in this episode, but all the time on TV and movies. Rolling over and kissing in the morning just doesn't work. Really? See, am I wrong? This is what I'm. This is what I'm asking. No, you're okay. not wrong. <laughs> okay, because when Dylan rolls over and Leandra is right there and they're in each other's faces, I'm like, I can smell it from here. <laughs> that was making you uncomfortable. It was. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm like, whoa, 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 let, let me brush first or something. Let me let me go get a, a glass of orange juice. Something. See, well, all this does is it reinforces the fact that this was a hallucination. This yeah, was not I guess reality. So. I guess so. I'm just, I'm just thinking, even if it is even if it is a hallucination. Point number two, to prove that. Mm-hmm. What woman sleeps naked? Yeah, I've never seen it. <laughs> exactly. I don't know if we're revealing too much. <laughs> I've is, been married be 11 years. I've never seen it. 18 years. Yeah. Never seen it. Okay. <laughs> All those cute little 90s and everything they get on their bachelorette night. Yeah. Yeah. They never come out of the drawer. <laughs> never. To all you single fellas out there, don't get your hopes up. Uh, well, this this podcast could take a really negative turn. I think it already did. <laughs> it did. Let's back up from that. Then. Okay. All right. Yeah, so kissing in the morning, I'm not buying it. Yeah, no. Okay. Now, move on from Total there. Total non-reality. <laughs> uh, okay, so, so as Dylan is in the Maru, which, did we ever establish why he was in the Maru? Why the Maru was there? Um, when I was looking at... The transcripts. Um, the only thing I found was gather your information and get back. So I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> That's basically all it was. So they're wanting to study this black hole more closely, but Rami is hesitant to get closer. Well, because I of her mass, that. she can't get closer. Yeah. The, which, as as Tyr which, how, how does explained. That, they, they don't really seem to be tiptoeing around that, but that seems like a funny conversation when when Andromeda's talking about, I'm a bit, you know, I'm big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know how women are sensitive about their, their size and their weight. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it just seemed funny, that conversation taking place with with uh, Lexadog standing there in her, her skinny self, sitting, right. standing right there talking about how big she is, you know. And it, I, I, I can picture around the set behind the scenes... A lot of snickering and joking going on, by, you know, behind the scenes on that. Yeah, I have a feeling there's a lot of that going on throughout this whole episode. Probably so. But in any case, uh, so, all right, so Dylan's out there to gather data. For some reason. Apparently now they are um, 
a ship of exploration? For this episode. Okay. All right. So when the Maru decompresses, the, the, the front glass blows out. Okay, what exploded, first of all? Where'd the fire come from? Mm-hmm. Was my my first thought. But okay. Uh, but as the air's leaking out and he's running through the ship, did you notice the stuff floating through the air? Uh, the snow? Snow. That was, it's, it was like snow, except that it can't be snow. Um, so I'm thinking the Maru needs a deep spring cleaning. Hmm. Dust bunnies. Okay. That must have been what got broke loose and was just flying through the ship all around, swirling all around Dylan as the ship decompressed. Could it have been some of the water vapor in the air? Coalescing um, ex- into snowflakes? Exposed I to the coldness I, of I, space? Maybe. Maybe that's, you know what? I didn't think about that. That's a good explanation. Let's go with that instead. Okay. Because if it's dust bunnies, that's just awful. Dude, it was snowing on the Maru. It snowed on the Maru. Rust. We've always wondered where the rust came from. Yeah, but on the, the rust is on the outside. I'm, I'm still not. It starts in the inside and it works its way out. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. There. You know what? I'm liking this episode better already just talking about it. We're getting answers here. All right. Um, if, if that is rusting from the inside out and there's that much visible rust on the outside, I'm very concerned about this spacecraft. Yeah, I'm double-checking every bulkhead and catwalk. I'm just not going on just it. Just not going on mm-hmm. it. There, that's a good That's a good way to live. Uh, I, I don't know why. For some reason, I must be... I'm fixated on the bedroom scenes. The second time that they're in bed, again, she's naked for some reason. He is fully clothed. Well, Ryan, the way the birds and the bees work <laughs> is typically... All right, all right. <laughs> no, but it's daylight. Why are they in bed? Why are they sleeping? Is this just a nap? It's after lunch. Okay. <laughs> nap time. All right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't understand what's going on. Has he has he spent a full day and night in this place? Or did he just wake up in the morning and now they're taking their, their after brunch nap for which she has to completely disrobe again? I don't know. I'm not understanding the timeline of what's going on. It seems like you've got a little bit of a hang up with these bedroom scenes. Well, there were a lot of them. I mean, you know, it's yeah. kind of, we have to talk about them, I feel like. It really, it doesn't matter what time of day it yeah, is. Yeah, but the thing is, this is what I'm hung up about, is why are they sleeping in the brightness of the day? Is this just a nap? How much time is he spending there? Honestly, I, I don't see it. it, it yeah, is it early morning? Is it mid-morning? Is it mid-afternoon? I, it looked, that didn't seem out of place to me at all. It looks the same as the opening scene, except that he has clothes on now. I, I don't have as big a problem with the timing of the day. I'm not saying as I have you, a problem. As, I'm just as, wanting as to know. the kid running in and jumping on the bed, mm-hmm. and him just getting a, oh, you little rascal, what are you doing in here? Right. Because if, yeah, I, I just, I can't see that happening. Okay. <laughs> all I could hear is a, is a get out of <laughs> You're not supposed to come in here. Right. Can't you knock on the... Oh, there's no door. <laughs> there is no door. Okay. <laughs> Stand at the curtain and call through first. Uh, again, reactions. I identify with, with Becca and her reactions on the Maru. Once her and Tyr get over there and they're trying to locate uh, where uh, Dylan is, her reaction to, te- to, to technology, uh, very similar to one that I've uh, taken many a time. Uh, through through the years, if it doesn't work right, bang on it. Mm. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I did love that scene where Tyr 
says, you know, typically that doesn't work very well. And she just looks right at him and just bangs it again. <laughs> like, I'm doing this my way. Right. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah, I have found there are two ways to deal with any sort of technical or mechanical problem. And that is one of them. That's what I try first. Yes. You hit it. If that doesn't work, then you just leave it alone and these things usually tend to fix themselves, is what I have found. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, I have a question. Okay. During the uh, the spacewalk scenes, did you get the feeling that they were stealing the soundtrack from 2001 Space Odyssey? Honestly, yeah, I'm a soundtrack guy, but I didn't make that connection. Okay, we're going to pause. Okay, so we paused, mm-hmm. and we took a look back through it. And finally, there at the end, I, I got what you're, you were referencing. I, I'm thinking the space scenes. Mm-hmm. In, in when when Bowman and uh, oh well the space scenes are completely silent I know and that's why I wasn't making the connection because okay. it's the silence of those scenes and just the breathing only in two thousand one we're saying yes. they're silent yeah. yeah which is not what we got here mm-hmm. there was a bit of background coral 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 whatever <laughs> what are you saying <laughs> coral music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't sound right, but yeah, okay. Yeah, it just sounded a lot like uh, any time they encountered the monolith, like right. on the moon right. scene. Um, just kind of that real eerie, ominous coral sound. Yeah. So I I had to think really hard before making the connection. Okay. But, well, see, that's uh, weird because I mean, it just jumped right out at me. Hmm, I was like, I think they stole the the, the soundtrack from two thousand one. Huh. Uh, in one of the flashback scenes, though. Yeah, I think they had to do a little audio work because it was the scene with Rev Bim. Mm-hmm. Hey, Rev Bim, we got to see Rev Bim. Who? <laughs> uh, with the Hajira in the cave. I remember the Hajira. <laughs> well, Rev Bim speaking on Serendipity, but I don't. <laughs> the devil take the hindmost. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Thaddeus Blake. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. You don't remember Rev Bim though. Who? Ah, oh, well, what a shame. <laughs> no, but but they have Rev Bim talking there. A lot of talking. Mm-hmm. Way more talking than he actually did in the episode. Hmm. And did you notice that was not Rev Bim's voice? That okay. was not Brit State's voice okay. that was doing this, uh, catching the listener up so that they can understand what's going on with during the scene. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. Huh. N- nice little bit of voice over work. Um, not the right voice actor, though. <laughs> you know, it's too bad that you think they, they could have got Brent for that. I mean, just to do a quick voiceover. He doesn't have to wear any makeup. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, no doubt. But oh, well. uh didn't work out that way. Yeah. Uh, speaking of flashbacks, there was one that I was really disappointed with. And that was the scene where Dylan is, is uh, on command f- fighting with... Telemachus Rade. Yes. Because I remember that battle, and in that battle, he was having flashbacks to his fight with Geharis Rade. <laughs> yes, yes, he was. And I was like, this is a perfect opportunity for an Inception moment. Flashback within a flashback. Brilliant. Yes. And they let us down. They, they so <laughs> dropped the ball on that wow. one. Wow. Oh. That's too bad. Wow, now that you've brought that up, <laughs> why are we even continuing this conversation? Uh, That's no. disappointing. Honestly, uh, why did Tyr have to tether and go out after Dylan? It's just it's just a couple hundred yards, right? I assume that that cable was not thousands of kilometers long. 
I don't know. I mean, we don't we don't know how long these things are. I mean, True. how long were the Bucky cables to get the Andromeda out of the black hole in the first place? Several kilometers, I would have to they think. They would have to be yeah. quite lengthy, I would so, imagine. So, so we're we're thinking, you know, maybe five kilometers of of rope that Tyr is tied to. Well, five kilometers. Come on, you can't take the Maru just a little bit closer. <laughs> to where Dylan's floating at yeah. and bring him in the airlock. No, I guess not. That's that that they were at the point of no return. And, and not only are we talking about thousands of of meters or uh, dozens of kilometers, but he's just six feet short. Yeah, just just a couple of meters short of being able to grab Dylan. How dramatic! Doesn't it always work out that way? Every time, every single time, it always happens to me. So one last thing I wanted to bring up. Okay. I've got a great idea for Harper. Uh, next office party, uh, uh, Commonwealth Day, whatever mm-hmm. it is, whatever occasion that they have to come up to exchange gifts, I've got the perfect gift idea for Harper. Okay. He needs to go back into his archive for 20th century artwork. Right. And pick out a couple of Hang In There Kitty posters for Becca and Dylan. Oh, yeah? Because they both had that line in this episode. Huh. Hang in there. Huh. I know it sounds like a line from a cat poster. Huh. Yes. Okay. So, Harper, he, he need, that's what he needs to do. All right. Okay, that's enough of that, Ryan. Okay. Let's get to some actual talking points. What did we learn about our characters in the situation that they were in? Um, one of the things I noticed about Tyr was there's a little bit more discussion about why Nietzscheans take the risks that they take. Yes. Even when the Becca mentions the self-preservation gene, um, Tyr seems to put that aside for this cause to go save Dylan. She wonders why he would do that. Well, because every time a Nietzschean male takes one of these risks and proves himself to be superior, it attracts the females. Well, they, it, it can make them more desirable to the females so that they can choose them as a mate. Yeah. We kind of understood this, though, to begin with, Yes, right? we did. But but the, the, here's what I'm wondering about in this case. I have written in my notes, who is Tyr trying to impress? Yeah. There are no Nietzschean women on this ship. Right. No, and this is... I'm glad you brought this up because this is right along the same lines of some of the thoughts that I wrote down, too. Okay. Is why is... Why is Tyr doing doing this uh-huh. if there are no other Nietzschean women around? Does he, next time he's around Nietzschean women, does he tell this story about what he did? Does he hope that maybe Becca will tell them what he did? Maybe this will be recorded and show up in a flashback in some future episode. Maybe. That another Nietzschean can see. Maybe. <laughs> no, this and this really does bring up the question that I have written down. Uh, are we back onto Tyr and Becca again as a possible or, or, or potential item? I mean, I kind of got the impression that, well, Becca leans up and kisses his helmet. Right. She's just like, I'm impressed. Right. And so, really, that was the whole point of what Tyr brought up, right? He does this to impress others. Maybe... Maybe Tyr wasn't so much trying to impress Becca, but she certainly rose to it. She she acknowledged that she is impressed. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, considering Tyr's kind of black and white viewpoint when it comes to women and relationships, I mean that's a that's a that's a huge flag that she's throwing up there, saying mm-hmm. I'm interested. You know, mm-hmm. 
that's how it came across to me anyway mm-hmm. is that how you saw it oh well definitely okay uh i don't know as so much from him but definitely and maybe it's just becca just kind of doing that that flirty thing that she does sometimes which she does a lot but we have seen so much of it between her and tear yeah it's kind of gotten to a point where i don't think she's joking about this anymore not so much mm-hmm. yeah okay and then tear just kind of just shrugs it off it seems but he he, he i don't lingers. know did you see the expression on his he, face he lingers when when she kisses his helmet mm-hmm. he has a look on his face like oh I, right. I don't know. I don't know where else he could go with that. Well, but. you don't know what's going on is in his head. Is he saying, "Oh, well, maybe this could be a thing," or maybe he's saying, "That's flattering, but never going to happen." <laughs> okay, so we kind of established that Dylan is out there flying the Maru, gathering data. He gets sucked out. What ha- what happens to him? Where does he go? So is is this all taking place in his mind? It's hypoxia. Okay. Mm-hmm. So is it hypoxia, or is something messing with his brain to try and get him to shut down or to quit? Mm-hmm. Because trance has some key moments in this episode, in which she seems like she's not so much intervening, but observing and and working at counteracting some influence yeah um there's a time where she has that uh she kind of breaks into his hallucination or whatever yeah, it is she that sort of in. has that that luke and leia moment at bespin yeah <laughs> um That's a good way of putting it yeah. yeah and and then when when harper suggests that maybe there's something there actually was something to this yeah she's very quick to say shut it down yeah mm-hmm. no it was just a dream, but we can learn something from it. Yes. Uh, kind of just sweeping the whole thing under the rug, but she was very quick to shut it down. Yeah. So, alien entity then? Are there black hole aliens? Is there is there something besides... Okay. Yeah, here's my other question. Okay. Are we talking about black hole aliens, or are we talking about Spirit of the Abyss's people? Well, I mean... Uh, <laughs> Have they really killed any of the spirit of the Abyss's people besides his agents? Right. No, they haven't. But they fired a bunch of Nova bombs at a black hole. Right. And that is immediately what is shown after Leandra Mm -hmm. says, you're killing killing my people. Yeah. Is that scene from uh, the second episode when, yeah, when Dylan just shoots all of those Nova bombs right into the black hole. Mm Mm-hmm. And the fact that her eyes became black holes. Yeah. So it kind of makes you you think that there's something to the connection to the black holes, wanting him to stop doing what it was. Has he destroyed any any more black holes since then? No, but they sure have been messing around with them a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) in various episodes, Uh, traveling through time using them. Right. Uh, I, I guess if there's something living in and around the black holes that could be messing with them. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, it, it asks some questions or poses some questions. This episode does with regard to who this is exactly mm-hmm. what Leandra is. And, and did we ever establish is Leandra just a, 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 pro, a projection or was she a stand in for whatever these things were? I don't think we really got 
There was a lot of confusing yeah. imagery <laughs> there associated was, with this. And you know what about that? Because I, I mentioned Inception earlier, yeah. jokingly, mm-hmm. but I want to go back to that because you remember in the movie Inception, they were talking about when they're creating these dreams, the fine details don't matter. True. Because nobody pays attention to the actual details when you're in a dream. Yeah. You're so into it and you, none of it matters. I'm looking at the way this set was designed. Everything was perfectly clean, bright white, no no decorations. Very Spartan, yeah. No no clutter, except for when Dylan was going through everything and trashing everything. But other than that, yeah. everything was totally clean. Yeah. And and you know, no nothing distracting. No, no plants, no vases or vases, however you want to say it. No pictures on the walls. Um, and I'm kind of wondering if that's in th- keeping and thinking with what they were saying in Inception, because in a dream, none of that stuff really matters. Okay, so if we if we apply the Inception principles, mm-hmm. the principles that we see in that movie, to this, we're in Dylan's head. Dylan is creating the dream, but someone else is is prodding him along. Well, I don't know. Is Dylan creating the dream, or is something else creating? The I don't dream? know. I, I think, I think Dylan has to be creating that environment because he wakes up in it and is perfectly comfortable with what he sees all around him. It isn't as if somebody just put something randomly together and he wakes up because that seems like that would be jarring. Oh yeah, yeah. So so it seems like for me this is this is a natural. Uh, well, he, he talks about it. He knows, whoever this entity is, knows his weakness. He wants a wife, he wants a child, and, and he wants a, an idyllic setting or a place to live in. And it just seems like this is something that Dylan would dream up. Plus, the fact that it's so Spartan is in keeping with his military training and background. And, and so, in my mind, yeah, it kind of makes sense that this would be an environment that is existing in his head... It's just there's an outside influence that's kind of putting cues in there to kind of help guide him in a certain direction to inception him into mm-hmm. giving up his quest for the Commonwealth. Okay. Well, then who is he killing? Exactly. And why is Trance so involved in this? Yeah, so, so why, what's, the, what's the advantage of stopping him from building the Commonwealth? I mean, we have an issue of, of genocide, apparently. I don't see the connection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if 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 they're going to go through whoever this is, if they're going to go through this elaborate setup, this elaborate ploy, uh, it has to be to the point of exacting revenge mm-hmm. and and ultimately death. I would think their goal has to be kill Dylan, not get him to stop his dream of building the Commonwealth. Well, I mean, let's let's think of it this way: what if what if it is somehow the abyss that's involved in this? Um. I think, based on what we saw in In Heaven Now Are Three, it seems to be that Trance's people have an agenda as a people. Um, The Abyss has some sort of an agenda, and we've already seen that the Abyss is trying to stop Dylan from doing whatever he's doing. Uh, Well, we know what Dylan's doing, but whatever Dylan is doing is, is going against whatever the Abyss wants. He's trying to stop Dylan for some reason, or it. I yeah. don't. Yeah. yeah. Um, Trance, she gets involved, 
but she kind of stays out of it, but she's totally in it, right? Yeah. Okay. So does Trance not want us to know what's going on? Because we come away from this having absolutely no clue. Exactly. If there was someone in that black hole, or a race of people in that black hole, or if it was all just completely an illusion or a delusion or a hallucination in Dylan's head that somehow Trance was able to get in there a little bit, um, or 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 what, but Trance doesn't want us to know. I, I really get that feeling. Yeah. Whatever it was, Trance knows about it, and she doesn't want us to know. When I say us, I mean the, Dylan and the rest of the crew, and us as the audience, it would seem, also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was the question? <laughs> That's a good question. Okay. <laughs> the question originally was, where did Dylan go? Okay. I think we've kind of both... Are, are, of the viewpoint that he is okay. in his own mind. Right. As far as Dylan, where he actually went um, physically or just in his... I, I, we're, I, yeah, we're still in his mind. It's not like he actually went somewhere else. I think this whole thing is taking place in his mind. Um, I, much like... Uh, do you remember the Next Generation episode, um, The Inner Light? Yeah. Okay. Picard lives a lifetime. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's all in his head. He, right. He doesn't right. actually go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it's along the lines of, of, and I've I've broken the Star Trek reference now. So <laughs> we were doing so well. Yeah. Forty five minutes, and then <laughs> then then this. But uh, but anyway, yeah. That I'm I'm with you there. I, I do believe that it, okay. it was all in his head. But I'm I'm still not saying. That just because it was in his head doesn't mean that it wasn't real. Right. Okay. He was being influenced by something. Mm-hmm. Are we acknowledge? Are we saying that? It seems like it. That's that's what I'm getting from the whole thing. Okay. I think if if it wasn't, Trance wouldn't be acting the way she was. Right. I think she would have been asking more questions than shutting people down. Okay. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And the fact that she wasn't asking questions, I think, means that she already knows all the answers. And did did you notice in in one of those scenes where Dylan was floating in space unconscious there was a direct beam of light shining right at his face and hitting him right in the the face guard of his helmet. Did you did you happen to catch that? No. Okay, I went back and I watched it again because when I first saw it, I was thinking, okay, no problem. It's just a reflection from the center of the black hole or something. That's, that's what they're trying to make. But it wasn't just like a reflection on the, the, the plastic front of his, of, his, of his helmet. I mean, it was a concentrated beam of light shining right directly at his face. And that was one of the things that got me thinking, maybe this is So it's something- a mind control beam. Maybe. Well, is it mind control or brain control? Brain control, yeah. Okay, okay yeah. P waves. Okay. P wave con- I don't know. What, I don't know what the reference is. I don't know the science of how the brain works. No. I don't think the brain scientists do either yet. But whatever's in this black hole does. And I, I, like, I, I don't know if maybe that was just, maybe that was just one of the Fresnel lights on the set that was just shining at him a little too hard. I don't know. Maybe. But it was it was a very narrow, concentrated beam of light 
shining right at his face. Okay, I hadn't noticed that. Okay. Maybe if I had, I would be more of the mindset that this is aliens, mm-hmm. not just hypoxia. Okay. But I, I think, yeah, as we've already established, I think we think it's more than just Dylan getting loopy in space. Okay. Uh, to that end, um, I, I guess if it is aliens and they're trying to get him to quit, boy, have they failed. Because <laughs> doesn't it seem like Dylan comes back recharged oh. and, and more ready than ever? He's in command and, yeah, and ready I mean, to, to do this. Insufferably, this. yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It, yeah. So I, I, I think if this was the plan of the aliens to get him to quit, to lay down... Um, Wow, they need to go back to the drawing board. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there were a lot of things in in continuities bother me. You know this about me. Yes. And it just seemed like this episode was full of incontinuity. Not only just within the episode, but also just within the whole series so far this to this point. And a few of them that I want to hit, because she talks about that that he's been having these um, memory lapses and hallucinations since the incident at the black hole. What incident is she talking about? She says that he lost, uh, he was clinically dead for two minutes in when he was in his EVA suit. Yeah. But, but these are different conversations. Is she talking about the, um, is she talking about, the black hole at the beginning of this series when this all started or is she talking about what we're seeing right now yeah you see <laughs> that i mean well that's the thing is, it, they leave it vague enough so yeah. that you can't pin it you can i assumed it, it was this episode the black hole in this episode and he's in his eva suit maybe she's just taking that memory knowing that it's it's floating around in there he's got some memory of being blown out of the maru um Let's just twist that and make it the death of the Andromeda and the the start of this rehab that he's been going through and now the PTSD that he suffers from. Okay. That's how I kind of pictured that. But no, you're absolutely right. They don't they don't say anything specific. They just kind of draw on what we saw at the first of the episode and then just kind of play on it, hoping that you don't look too closely at it. But yeah, it could be the, the, the pilot episode black hole. It could be the one that uh, they returned. Well, they returned back to that same one when they go, which is another thing that Sarah, I, 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 I was wondering, how is it that in the banks of Lethe, how is it that they were able to go back to that black hole when in the pilot episode, they destroyed that black hole with Nova bombs? They didn't destroy it. They turned it into a white hole. Oh, that's right. They did. <laughs> they reversed it, didn't they? Uh-huh. And I don't know how we huh. didn't catch that. Wow. <laughs> but that well, was something... Just, we just need to stop. No, I... Let's go back to season one. I caught that during watching this episode, when I was thinking yeah. about all the plot holes and incontinuity in this episode, that got me thinking about which which black hole was it. And they, then they, did they destroyed that, they? that black hole. They turned it into a white hole to escape. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, how did we miss that? I don't know. Shame on us. Shame on us. And how did For the real. listeners not catch that either? I don't know. You know what? That was let's, early. Let's put it on them. Yeah. <laughs> that was early. We didn't have many listeners at the time. True. So let's let's just put it to that. We'll pass that off. Um. Okay, so what was it that I had mentioned? 
Which black hole? Okay. All right. Yeah. So which black hole is it? Because this brings up some very serious questions. If it's the black hole that we have right now, that doesn't make any sense because she just said that the crew of the Andromeda died trying to save him. Yeah. She's not talking about this ragtag team of of 9300ers. No. She, she's 300 years in the past. She's talking about because yeah, we're talking high guard. Yeah. That's why the high guard wants him to leave. Yeah, it's like it, it, that's the thing. She doesn't tell him to stop serving the commonwealth. She does say stop being high guard. That's what she's talking about, that, mm-hmm. that flimsy that she's carrying around. Wanting right. to... You can't resign from something that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's all just supposed to be symbolic to him. Yeah. Um, okay, now let's go back 300 years, and let's say that he died for two minutes in that original black hole from the pilot episode. Okay. Now, all of these flashbacks that he's having, that he's having none of these make sense. Now, we can play that off. We can say, well, yeah, because we know that that's not real, and he's having flashbacks of something that's real. Why, then, does Leandra make reference to the things that he's thinking back to? Like, um, the, like the rogue high guard officer um, flying off into the, the Magog system and unleashing the Nova bombs and destroying that whole system. Yeah. Um, why does she make reference to serendipity when um, that that one guy that used to be on the show? What was his name? Uh, the Magog, the, the ugly looking guy. Something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when when Rev Bim had that whole litter of Magog kittens. Yeah. You know. Yeah, she, he, she's referencing she references all these mistakes. That, that that these made. are mistakes mm-hmm. that the High Guard, the Commonwealth, had to clean up, but supposedly they never happened. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, and it just—it's inexplicable. It's inexplicable. Okay. Um, okay. Now let's go in continuities within the whole series. Remember, he—one of the first things he does when he starts freaking out, he goes and he looks in the mirror because he wants to, to see surgical scars. He wants yeah. to find anything, anything, any evidence that they're that they're cutting into Poking, him or prodding, probing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And what does he find? No scars. No. But he has he a has scar. A scar. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> in uh, on Mobius, yeah, he got shot. Yep, right in the gut, right in the appendix area. Yep, he should have a scar he, there. Yeah, and he remembers that because he had a flashback to that. Mm-hmm. Yes, he does. So they missed one there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and then also, how does he explain away Leandra? Or how does Leandra explain away herself? Because he's having these flashbacks. He knows about Sarah. If all of this is supposed to be before the fall, or the fall that actually never happened, so what happened to Sarah? Because if if he remembers her from all of this, and now she's just gone? I mean, did they, what, did something, did they break up? Did they have a falling out? What? <laughs> What's what's going on? And yeah. we just don't get to know about it. And then he meets this other girl. Yeah. How much time has passed? They have a son. About the son. Yeah. How about that name? It's a pretty good name. I thought it was kind of weak. Uh, you would. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's just as far as his existence in this place, he seems to be content and happy 
until he finds out that Leandra wants him to retire from the High Guard. This is a complete shock to him. Why did he not know about this? What, like, why did he not understand this about his wife wanting him to quit? Yeah. Why was this not part of whatever this world that he's in? Because he just woke up a day before. They went rolling in the sheets. His life was good. He was high guard. Now she just pops in, hey, you're quitting. Yeah. Whoa, no, 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 no. I'm high guard. Don't tell me what to do. But my question is, why is this a surprise to him? Why does he not know anything about this until he reads the flexi? Then he reads the flexi and he's like, I'm retiring? This is crap. I don't think I like this world anymore. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she plays it off as being memory loss. I think that's more for our benefit to build a story. But I think if whatever it is, whether it's him or some alien entity that's, that's doing this to him, why don't they just make that part of this false memory that he knows he's had these conversations with Leander, that he's going to retire, that he has agreed that he's going to retire, and then just let him be content with it. He's content with everything that they've given him to this point. Yeah. I mean, even though there are no dishes in the cupboards, <laughs> you can clearly see. Just make him content with, I guess unless it's just one of those things that is just so deeply rooted in him that they cannot pull it out. Even still, why pull the rug out from under him like that? Yeah. Give him the false memories that he has come to terms with it. If nothing else, it's going to make it harder for him to 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 buck against this, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. It, you could go that route, but I don't know. His, his drive is so deep seated, and that's what we we that's what we arrive at. That's what we have to acknowledge when the the episode ends. Mm-hmm. His drive. Is, is strong. Yeah. And he's not going to be dissuaded from it. So it didn't matter what they threw out there, whatever perfect scenario they threw out there. And, and I think this is a good episode to kind of hit on that. And we see in other series and, and we've seen it in this series, you make things too good. It, 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 and what's the saying? If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what, whatever these entities are that, uh, that develop this scenario to put him in. Um, that was their downfall. They made it too perfect. And he, he immediately began to, to push back against it. No, he didn't. It took until he found out he was supposed to retire from the high guard. He was cool with everything being perfect. Mm, not so much because didn't, wasn't he in the kitchen with his son eating pancakes when he had his first flashback? <laughs> he and wasn't was- eating pancakes. <laughs> he was... Failing miserably at making pancakes. <laughs> yes. Yes, he was. He made, as he said, concrete batter. Right, right. My point being, the conversation about him quitting Highguard had not been broached yet. Okay. All right. Yeah, and he I'll was already that. starting to have flashbacks. Okay. So his mind, I feel like, was already pushing up, pushing back against the perfection that was already that was being presented immediately too. Okay. Him. All right, I'll buy that. I just but I still I still stand by that I think it was bad programming <laughs> on whoever did this to not just go ahead and make that a memory. Yeah. He knew that he was retiring yeah. and he was okay with it. And then I think we have a story of him coming to the realization that no, I'm not okay with that. Um I think we have an interesting 
exploration of Dylan, of Dylan's character, and I don't just mean as a TV character, I mean personally as the character of Dylan, because I don't know, what kind of person do you make of someone who is that devoted to his job, uh, his cause, whatever that may be, that he's willing to completely throw away his family for this cause or for this for this job well i think we established by the time he arrived at that point where he he was going to have to give up the idea of ethan and give up the idea of leandra he already knew that this was not real so he wasn't giving up a family for his job yeah i'm I don't know. I mean, I think he was still struggling with what was reality. I think that was one of the more interesting parts about this. Is and I want to talk about. I want to talk about that. So let's go, go ahead and continue with your thought because I want to talk about that later. No, that pretty much summed up my the bulk of, of of my thought there. Okay. Well, I will add to that before I move on. Though. Okay. Um, it occurs to me after having said that we have precedent because he's already done this with Sarah. He had the chance to stay with Sarah, to be happy, to marry her, to live his life with Sarah. He chose to instead go 300 years into the future where she's already dead. Yeah. And try to make a better future. Yes. So I guess that kind of – I answered my own question. Yes. Does Does Dylan do that? Yeah, he does. But I guess the question that I'm asking you is what do we think of a person – that is willing to do something like that. What if? What if you are? I, I, you can't. That's the. Here's the problem. There's the, the the sticking part of of what you're setting up for discussion here. Okay. Okay. A person that gives up a family for career. Mm-hmm. How do we feel about that person? Right. Well, uh, on the surface. You you would think that maybe they have their priorities in the wrong in the wrong place. I want him to say, "I choose us," <laughs> <laughs> but you can't apply this to Dylan because his circumstances are so dramatically different. You cannot you can't put yourself in the position of 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 someone that's having to make a decision between family or career. Dylan's mind has already been made up for him. Yes, he could have lived with Sarah. He could have made a family. But what kind of environment would they have lived in? He had the opportunity to to go build civilization, knowing what was going to happen, knowing he had a ship and crew waiting for him on the other side to go do that with. That's where he belonged. He may not have known it at that moment, but that's where he belonged, Mm -hmm. was 300 years in the future. The decision had already been made. So he wasn't having to give up Sarah. She was already dead and gone. He was just having to come to terms in his own heart and mind and let her go. She's already dead and gone if you're talking about linear time. But, I mean, he's back there. He's with her. She's not dead anymore. She's standing right in front of him. They are touching hands to each other. No, I mean, I will say, I am not going to say there are not times when someone should choose some thing over other people that they love. Um, there, I have some very strong convictions that I would choose over family. I think, I think most people should. Um, 
And I guess I'm just wondering, is this one of those things to want to go back to this this uh, commonwealth, this high guard, this entity that doesn't want him anymore? Yeah, but is it co- is it the commonwealth? Is it high guard that doesn't want him, really? That's what Leandra says. It's what Leandra says, but we already know she's lying to him. Do we know that she's lying to him? I mean, in as far... Of course she's lying because none of this is real. Yes. But... I mean, none of it's real. It's a TV show. I mean, what, but, what is what is it he says when he when he realizes what all is happening? He begins to suspect her. He says uh, there are entities out there that want to stop me mm-hmm. from rebuilding from the Commonwealth, from reestablishing civilization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she's working right in with that. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's not a real entity herself, but you got to you you have the feeling that there are whatever those entities he's referring to. One of them or some of them are pulling the strings in this instance. Mm-hmm. And so whatever she tells him has got to be a lie. Okay. Yeah, I'm just not sure that he's figured that out yet. Okay, let me let me ask this. Okay. Are you coming at this... See, we're coming at this from two different angles. Okay. I'm coming at it from... I have no idea what's coming from f- henceforth. Okay. From, from the time the credits roll for this episode that we just watched. Right. Forward. Okay. However... You know what's coming. Okay. Is some of that perhaps coloring your argument here? No. No, it's not. Are you sure? I'm sure. Are you pulling a Leander on me? No, no. (laughs) No, I'm not. What, do you think I'm some kind of demon? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) No, no, I'm not. I'm I'm just looking at... Let's let's take it away from this show or Andromeda, this universe. I'm just saying, what do you think of a person... That that does that that is willing to to put whatever this this job or this career this calling this much far ahead of his wife and his son. Well, in that situation, you have to say a person that would give up a family uh-huh. for a career is got their priorities wrong. Okay, you always choose family first. That's your first obligation. Okay, but Dylan Hunt doesn't have a family. Okay, never had a family. He had an opportunity at a family. Yeah. But he gave up the opportunity for a family in order to carry out or, or do the greater good. And, and you have I, – I have no fault with Dylan for making that decision. Sure, he had opportunity to stay in the past oh, and build but, a life with Sam. But he, he had no yeah. – or did I say Sam? Sam Sorbo? <laughs> Sarah, sorry. <laughs> Get my actor and character yeah. mixed up there. But, but he gave that up. Do we know what he gave up? No. Okay. But see, you're saying – because he didn't have a family. But what if this was real life? This was his real family, and he's still willing oh, to walk out Oh, he's a bad man. Him. Okay. He's a bad man. <laughs> but what I'm saying is we've already had the cues that have shown him that this is not a real family. Okay. So for him to make that decision to go back to the struggle, it's an easy decision for him. Okay. Well, I'm just not so sure... That that's the case because I'm one of the things that fascinated me about this episode was thinking about the psychology and what does a person who is going crazy do when everyone is trying to tell them that they're going crazy? Yeah, um, just pushback. Think of uh, a beautiful mind. Mm-hmm. I think this kind of goes right along with that movie as far as you have something in your head that. Man, it is so real. 
It is so real to you. You know this has got to be what is real. And Dylan is like this with thinking all these flashbacks to the Andromeda and all these things that are going on. He knows this has got to be real. But here Leandra is saying, no, we've been over this. You have a problem. You need help. And then there are times when he's like, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right, and now we need to figure out what we're going to do going forward with this. But then he has another flashback. No, I know it's... Ah! Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Okay. Um, honestly, I think we could go back and forth and argue this point between the two of us. <laughs> okay. We're going to have to move on. <laughs> well, you know, but but the thing... <laughs> you're right, we do. But the thing... he He, there, he can't be convinced... That none of this is real. Otherwise, he would have ended it the first time he pointed a force lance at Leandra. Right. This is over. Maybe how it's many... the hypoxia that kept him in the dream state. <laughs> Maybe. But how many, <laughs> how many times does he point that force lance at Leandra and not pull the trigger or push the button or whatever you do to activate a force lance? Right, because if he had it, that would have just been evil. Not if he knows that none of this is real. Not if he knows that he's, his mind is being controlled by some entity. Hypoxia. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to fall on that as a crutch. All right. <laughs> and not only that he doesn't shoot her, but when he does shoot at the mirror and she totally freaks out, okay, now he goes over, he rushes over to the bed where she's sitting and he tr- he's trying to calm her down because she's freaking out. He's trying to calm her down. He is showing genuine concern for her because she is scared. She's scared of him. Yeah. If he really believes that none of this is real, it's all an illusion, Well, he doesn't care how she at, feels. At, at this point, though, I mean, he's he's figuring it out. He doesn't know that it's not real. He doesn't know that these aren't real people. Yeah. But he's figuring it out. Okay. He's, he's working toward that, that answer, toward that solution. And when he finally arrives at it, he wakes up, right? And yeah. isn't that how it is in a dream? When you're in a dream, a very realistic type dream, do you know Do you know it's fake? No. Right. No. So you work through it, you work through it, you work through it. And then occasionally you have those dreams where something just completely absurd happens and you wake up pretty quick after that mm-hmm. because it's just totally outside of the realm of reality. Okay. Maybe you, that's really what Dylan's working through here. You don't think he's seen stranger stuff than this in real life? <laughs> Point. <laughs> <laughs> Point. Um, but yeah, the the more flashbacks he has, okay. the more assured he becomes of the unreality that he's trapped in. Okay. And, and I think that's the whole point of, of all of those clips, is to build you, to, to build... In Dylan. To, to fill minutes. To fill minutes, uh-huh. exactly. And to, <laughs> and to allow him to come to that realization that this is not reality okay. around him. All right. You bring up a great argument. Like I said before, we could go back and forth for a while mm-hmm. arguing the finer points of the situation that Dylan was in. I really feel like, don't you want to hear from the listeners? How do they feel about the situation that he's in? We would love to hear from the listeners to hear your viewpoint on how you you feel about Dylan's situation there. Yeah. Was he For sure. Do do you see it as him being a bad man for giving up family for career or 
I don't know. We we've discussed so many different points. They're they're just kind of blurring together at this point. <laughs> it's it's all like a dream. Go back and listen to the last fifteen minutes, and then tell us what you think. <laughs> yeah, we'd like to hear from you. Drive back the night podcast at gmail dot com, or get to us on social media at Andromeda Pod. Right. We'll repeat all that at the end of the show. At the end of the show. Let's move on though. Let's do the quote though. Okay. Uh, home is a sailor. Home from the sea, and the hunter home from the hill. A fragment of ancient Earth text. CY 6800. That would be Requiem. It's referencing Requiem. Wow. That's kind of cool. You, you mentioned that earlier in the yeah, trivia, trivia, didn't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? I, I want you to go first. You do? How do you feel about this one? I always go first. Yeah. But I want, I want to hear your thoughts. Um, you know what? I'm not really exactly sure what this quote has to do with this episode. Um, other than, than it being uh, referencing home... Um, what is home for Dylan? It's not this place that he's in. It's wherever it is that he's supposed to be. In this case, it's it's on the Andromeda. And I think when it comes down to it, you know what? Dylan, he's this mighty hunter, sailor. He just wants to go home. That's all I got. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, and and I think you struck upon the the key of the the main subject there. Okay. Home. Mm-hmm. And that really does feel like kind of the point of this episode. What is home? Mm-hmm. Home is what you make it. <laughs> and I'm not going to say it like the Waterboy quote, but home is what you make it, that right? Joe Dirt, actually. Joe Dirt? Well, yeah. it is. It is nah, Joe nah, Dirt. No, no, no. Home is what you make. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but home is what you make it. Um, Dylan was home while he was hallucinating. But it wasn't really home, was it? Home was being on the Andromeda and carrying out his mission. That's home for Dylan. And, and so I, I feel like that's that's kind of the point that we get from this uh, from this saying uh, here from, from Requiem. Uh, the sailor wants to go home. He wants to come off of the sea. Uh, maybe he enjoys being on the water. But there's someone, there's a family, there, there's something that keeps him coming back to land, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, the hunter loves being on the hill, being in the hunt, out in the wilderness. But there's a place where they lay their head and that is home. And, and I feel like that's Dylan. We got to see at the end of this episode, Dylan was home and, and that's there at the, on the Andromeda with his crew. That's his family now. Yeah. That this is what he's built for himself. Yeah. You know, he's also sort of on the sea. He's on the hunt. True. And so maybe that's where home is to him. He can't yeah. just be home. And be content. He can't put down roots. Yeah, he's 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 just he he's got a, a bad case of the Kirks. <laughs> right. He he needs his pain, and yeah. he's he's got to be working hard. He's got to be doing something that he believes in, and that's home. Couldn't have said it better myself. Neither could I. That's pretty good. Let's put that quote to rest then. Great. Let's move. Good on. idea. All right. So so it brings us to the part of what do we think about the episode. The things we cannot change. Ryan? Well, I know that we can't change the script to this episode. And man, I really would have liked to have been able to do that. Um, you know, I I have enjoyed this discussion of this episode way more than the three times I watched this episode. And yeah, it, this has been a fantastic discussion. It was a terrible episode. I did not like this episode at all. Uh, 
Probably better than The Prince, because I think it was more interesting, uh, just looking, just exploring some of the different subjects and the things that were going on, and and the psychology of what's going on with Dylan. That was really one of the most fascinating things to me, and I could have talked about that a lot longer, about him trying to decide what is real and what is illusion. And seeing him go through that whole process, I thought that was actually pretty interesting. But what I couldn't get past all of the plot holes and incontinuities and all the things in this in this story that just did not make any sense at all to me. I couldn't get past that. And I think for those reasons, I have to say, no, I did not care for this episode. No, I'm wholly in agreement with you okay. on that sentiment. Uh I made a lot more notes than I would have thought I could have made. Uh, I watched this episode the first time and didn't make any notes, but I texted you. <laughs> it's a clip show. <laughs> and you said, don't influence my <laughs> my impression of this episode. And, and, and yeah, I mean, oh, I, I had to work hard to write things down to bring to this discussion. And you're absolutely right. I have enjoyed this discussion. It, it's been interesting to talk about it. But the most interesting parts to discuss are the incontinuities that you've brought out. Yeah. And how they relate. And, and can you make them, can you retcon them into the series the way they obviously have, have tried to do here? I don't know if they even tried. <laughs> and that's the point. Is, yeah. is, is It feels like such a, I don't want to say failure. You know what? I don't want to be that negative. Yeah. But it does feel like this episode had to be done for budget reasons. But was done so. It was poor. Okay, you know, and 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 for that reason, yeah, I, I can't wait to move on to the next episode and put this one behind me. Okay, you know what? Here is really the irony, to me, is that this show, being a clip show, I think it is a great show for catching us up and reminding us of all the things that have happened. Because honestly, the clips that they chose. I think were pretty important clips. They're, they're key parts of the story. They definitely are. Yeah. And if and if you're watching this for the very first time ever, and you're watching this a week at a time, like it was originally broadcast, and then you had to take the summer break and come back into it, now you're at the end of the... I mean, it's been almost two years. Yeah. Since, so, I have an interesting thought about that, because I, I did write this down. I, okay. I don't mean to interrupt you too too badly. Well, there, you did. I totally. did. I'm totally going <laughs> to steamroll this. I didn't mean this. to, but I'm going <laughs> to. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as clip shows go, yeah. you're absolutely right. This, this is brilliant for the person that's that's needing a refresher. Mm-hmm. And I, you remember last week uh, how I talked about, it seemed like we had forgotten about the Magog. Mm-hmm. We had kind of forgotten the reason why Dylan and crew are going through all of these things that they're going through, right? You had. Yes. I had. I felt. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt. Right. And this episode to me, on, on, a, on a certain level, feels like a little bit of validation because it shows all these scenes with the Magog world ship and why Dylan is doing what he's doing. And now he, he seems, he comes back to the, to the, the command deck and he's focused again. Mm-hmm. And it just seems to go hand in hand with what I was talking about last in the last episode, where we seemed like we had kind of lost our way, but now Dylan and Becca, especially, and crew are now coming around back to this idea of, we have a mission, let's go do it. Mm-hmm. And I felt like 
Yeah, it, it kind of put the stamp on that in this episode. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you for interrupting me for that. Um. <laughs> Done. Dunsky. <clears throat> no, but I, I mentioned irony, and then I just kind of left the, the listeners hanging because I got interrupted. But it was okay. <laughs> that was a very good point. Here's the irony, is that and you helped to make my point, honestly, because with all of that stuff and bringing us back to um, where we are in this series, fantastic episode for doing that. And then at the same time, no continuity to this episode. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's almost counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Here's all this stuff that happened, and we're going to show you the whole canon and continuity of this series but have none of it in this episode. Yeah. And to me, honestly, this episode feels like a filler. Oh, we, very much so. <laughs> we know it's a filler because it's a clip show. Mm-hmm. Y- you like to think that maybe they, there can still be something important that they put into it. Did they mail this one in? Yeah, totally. Okay. And on, I really, really feel bad about saying that, because I did not know, until you did trivia, I did not know that this episode written by, was written by our friend, yeah, Ethley Ann Vare. Yeah. Um, I don't think she was given much to work with. No. I, I, she might have the writing credit, but I don't think that she had a full control of how this story was developed, because I know she would have done a better job had she had full full control of what this what they were going to do with this story. Mm-hmm. I, I really feel like she just was a, a, a credit on here. Um, Ethley, if you're listening, we would love to hear from you. What happened on this on this clip show episode? Do you remember? Yeah. Were you involved? <laughs> or were, was your name just put down at the at the at the front because it was just everybody had a hand in it and, and somebody had to get top billing. Uh, anyway, yeah, we'll put that out there. Mm-hmm. But as far as this episode goes, I agree with you. Yeah. I was not enthused about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did not enjoy it. No. But that's us. But, Ethley, listeners, if any of you would like to chime in, uh, please, please let us know your thoughts and your feelings on this discussion or any other discussion we have had or will have. And you could get a hold of us, Dylan. Dylan? Wow. Wow. You just got a promotion. (laughs) I am in command. Yeah. You are now your father. Uh, Little boy Ethan, how could they get a hold of us? Oh, demoted. Uh, They can do so by emailing us at drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. We are at AndromedaPod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow us and get a hold of us there. Our home is on Podbean. That is where we have all of our episodes of Drive Back to the Night to this point. www.andromedaseries.podbean.com And if you listen to us on iTunes, uh, you can find us there, Drive Back to the Night podcast. If you listen to us there, subscribe and uh, think about giving us a review. we certainly like to see at least one review (laughs) from from a listener, not from ourselves. And you could even say... Of all the podcasts that I listen to, you're one of them. That's going to show up one yeah. day. That's all I want. So, so <laughs> just one of you out there, if you'll put, of all the podcasts I listen to, this is one of them. We would, we would love that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Or you we, we don't beg for money. No. We're going to beg for that. Yeah. <laughs> we want to see that on the... I would love to see all the reviews. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just one right after the other. That would be great. And as you mentioned, we don't beg for money. But we will now accept money. So you could find that uh, tip jar, probably a link on the Podbean website. Or you could send it PayPal to our email address, which is again... Podcast at gmail.com. Good thanks to our big friend Doug Anderson for giving us the quote for the beginning of this episode, as he has done so through most of season two, and we hope to much more in the future. We are an Age of Geek production. Check them out, www.ageofgeek.com. And we hope that you will join us back here again next time as we look at the episode, The Fair Unknown. 